Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. title of the sermon today is this it's a question and the question is this where is my harvest amen where is my harvest the reason why I felt pressed by the Lord to, pre- to preach this is because guys I'm a pastor so my job isn't to the to the service and to the organization my job is to the people and I've actually had Christians ask this question a lot uh, so I thought it would be Great to, to actually preach it because, you know, I want to give some encouragement. Um, I think that this is a genuine question that if you stick with the Lord long enough, that you'll probably ask. And I want to give you permission in this room. Listen, it's okay to ask. Are you guys with me? I think that it's actually stupid to not ask questions. I think that you'll actually end up getting into air and you'll, getting in, you'll get into some dangerous stuff if you just only get single-minded and you put blinders and no one can ask questions, no one can bring a challenging thought, I'm not like that. I tell our young people all the time, I say, guys, listen, I'm not a pastor that you have to keep 50 feet away from me. I said, because I guarantee you every question that you're thinking, I've thought myself. Anything that you're probably thinking, oh, about healing. Well, I question healing. What do you think? Well, I don't know if I believe, I don't understand healing. What am I going to do as a pastor? Oh my, get away from me. How dare you? It'd be bring your questions. You know, that's, that's our commitment. I don't know if, are you guys figuring this thing? It sounds kind of strange if you guys could help me with that. Uh, that's our commitment is to love one another. Are you guys with me? And that's such the biggest trap of the devil is to turn us against each other. We're, if we don't agree on everything, if we don't align, it, the first thing is just defense and separation. That's the devil. That keeps people divided. That keeps the church divided. You know, I'm, I'm actually all for challenging thought because I'm not a religious person. I'm a truth seeker. I want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I, want to, I don't want to know what religion says. I want to know the truth. I want to know what actually works and what doesn't work. I want to know what's real and what's not real. I'm not here to live my life in religion. And some man-made ideas about things that if, if challenged, our answer is, I don't know why we do that, but we just do it because that's the way we've always done it. I don't know about you. Maybe because of the generation I'm a part of, but that's not good enough for us. I'm like, I've always asked. You can ask my mom. I've always, and God, I'm reaping. I'm reaping the fruit. My daughter is just like me, Emberly. I've always challenged everything. She's already four, and I've already told her, just because I said, you know, what, can I do this? Can I eat this? Can I, can I watch cartoons for 19 hours today? No, you can't. Why? Because I said so. Daddy, that's not good enough. That's not good enough for you to tell me because you said so. Why do you say so? And I'm like, I can't get mad. That's how I am. You know, and ultimately, too, our, our job as, as we're walking with people is to help. 
You people don't get saved and then have it all figured out. People don't get saved and have every chapter and verse and book of this Bible down and the doctrines and tenets of Christianity. They don't. So how stupid is it to hold that over someone's head and make them feel like you're not good enough or you're dumb or you're not meeting some expectation because you have these thoughts and these questions? That's a part of discipleship. Are you with me? And so I really, I, I've had this question asked, so I feel as a pastor, I want to just bring some perspective. I've asked this question. So if you've asked this question, let me give you permission. You're not spiritually um, less mature because it's like, man, I've had my thoughts. I've had my questions. To me, it's, to me, that's where real faith comes from. Real faith doesn't come from just believing everything that you've ever been taught and everything you've ever been told and with, without any challenge, real faith to me is, is when you, other things, you can go through this process where other thoughts, other ideas, and I know this may sound dangerous, you may, not, you may disagree with me. I'm not talking like throw your kids out, let them experience the world, but to me, my faith of where, where the, what the Lord, the portion the Lord's brought me to, this is just personally, has came from those times where this question, this challenge, this whatever, I was confronted with it. And I had to not rely on what I heard from someone else. I had to dig into this book and I had to live, walk through it by experience and come out on the other side with my faith refined saying, I don't believe this just as because it's something I was taught. I believe it because it's been tested and proven and tried. And I can tell you what I believe about it for me. Are you with me? And so this is a question a lot of Christians have. Where is my harvest? Where is my harvest? And I want to say, guys, this is a genuine, fair question to ask as a Christian. You start asking, the devil will make you think, you know, something's wrong with you. Nothing's wrong with you. So I need to do some groundwork. Um, because maybe you're watching this online, maybe you're here like harvest. I know sometimes in church we can use uh, churchianity words, Christianese. <laughs> We're speaking Christianese. People are like, harvest? What, what are you talking about? Are we farmers? <laughs> what do you mean harvest? What I mean by harvest, and, and I'll lay a foundation for some of this, but where is, my, where is all of these promises and blessing and stuff that the Bible teaches? Where is it? Where's the disconnect from the Bible says these things, but I'm not experiencing these things, so where's it at? What's the problem? I want to help with that. Amen. So let me, let me just start um, in Galatians 6, 9. And this is going to be a multi-week part. There's no way I could cover this all in one sermon, so I'll do my best just to cover at least one aspect of it today. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, New King James. For in due season, say due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. There's so many things that I could just stop and pull out of that one verse. Number one, in due season. What is due? That means prop, in the proper season. Guys, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. The, the whole kingdom, this is going to be a law that I'll more thoroughly express to you. But the, the, when God, God created the heavens and the earth. Are you guys with me? And so we get so glued to just this carnal 
world, like the physical world. But you have to understand, there's a whole nother spiritual reality that's even more real than the ground that we're standing on. God is the creator. The earth is actually in the kingdom of God. God rules over the heavens. He rules over, uh, he rules over the earth. He rules over everything on the earth. It's all underneath his dominion and his kingdom. The problem is most of the time we try to approach God with an American mindset, with a modern mindset, a Texas mindset, right? And, and, and you realize that God's kingdom doesn't operate in that way. And so there is a principle in the kingdom of God we'll talk about more thoroughly, and it's called seed time and harvest. And it's not just for your sowing, it's for everything in the kingdom operates by seed time and harvest. Did you know even a believer? That you know, whenever someone gets saved, they are a seed. And this is the problem. This is why Christians, guys, we can't be judging people that are fresh. We can't be judging young, you know, kind of more new believers because they're a seed. You can't, you can't plant a seed and expect a tree within an hour. There is a process from the, from the seed to becoming the tree. And the Bible actually talks, I'll, I'll reference this in a little bit, uh, well, probably not today, but the Bible says that the kingdom, it's built on increase. First the, first the blade, then the stalk, then the ear, like a blade. First you have the little sprout, then you have the stalk that begins to grow, then you have the actual ear of corn, and then you have the harvest. But Christians get frustrated because they think that it's seed harvest, Right? I just get saved. Now all this stuff's supposed to just happen in my life. Where's my blessing? Where's my prosperity? I mean, it applies across the board. And I'll talk about this in a moment, but even financially, the Bible teaches that you can sow seed financially and you'll reap a harvest, but then we're like, there's this question, where is my harvest? You have to understand the kingdom of God is built on progression. Sanctification is a part of this. That means that as I get saved and the Holy Ghost begins to work in me, I'm going to progressively become more and more like Christ. So that means that you, I can have love, compassion, and mercy for you. You can have love, compassion, and mercy for me because if we're walking with the Lord, we're changing every day. And I started as a seed that maybe didn't have everything figured out. You started as a seed that didn't have know it all and, and know all the right things to do and not to do. But as you walk with the Lord, you, ch you change from a seed and to, the to this progression of becoming more and more like Christ. Are you guys with me? And so it says in due season, there is a reaping season. Amen. I want you to just, if you're writing something, I'll write that down. There is reaping seasons in life. In fact, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. Thank God for modern technology. <laughs> a time for everything. There's a season. For everything, there's a season. A time to be very active. I'm sorry, a time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to harvest. So there's, this is what he's saying. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for you will reap 
in due season you shall reap if you don't lose heart. Say in due season. So there's everything. Again, not only is everything built on progression, like progressively as, as God comes into our life, our life should progressively change. Not only to his likeness and character, but guys, well, you should see the manifestation of restoration. God will begin to restore your family. God will begin to restore your children. God will begin to take you from the pit and set your feet on the rock to stand. But it doesn't mean the moment that you get saved that you're going to be the multi-million dollar CEO that has all of this stuff. There's a progression to these things. So this is what he's saying. Don't grow weary while you're walking through the process. Amen. Because there is a process and then there is a season. There is a season. We shall reap if we don't lose heart, if we don't give up. So what the Bible promises you is the Bible says the justice of God cannot be mocked. You will always say always. I will always say always. Say always. Reap what I sow. Guys, that's not just talking about finances. It is. It can apply to finances, right? There's a great promise for that. We'll cover some of these things. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Remember, a farmer who plants a few seeds gets a small crop, but the one who plants generously gets a generous crop. If you guys would, too, continue to equal this out for me a little bit. Okay, he's working on it. Sorry, I'm having to hold it down here. It's like really echoey. One who plants a few seeds will get a small crop. The one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give in reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God will generously, here's the promise, God will generously provide all that you need. You'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide... Say he'll provide and he'll increase your resources, then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Guys, sowing and reaping is not a law of finances. It's a law of the kingdom. Everything, say everything, is, operates on sowing and reaping. Jesus said that in Luke chapter 6. You know, it's true most of the time. We read Luke chapter 6 only in the context of giving. I'll read what he said. We read this most of the time. Um, am I blinking again? Give and it shall be given. What's the verse, Luke? 638. I was looking right at it. I didn't see it. There it is. Give and you will receive. Right? We, we, we always use this and it's not wrong to use it, but we only use it on the means of finances. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more running over and poured into your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount that you get back. That works for finances, right? 
That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But in context, is he talking about finances in this chapter? If you actually skip above verse 37, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Then he goes on to say, give and you shall receive. So basically what Jesus said is whatever you give out, you can have a guarantee that it will come back to you. That means that if I'm a Christian, and this, under, this falls under the law that he said to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Why? Because this is how the kingdom works. Right? What he's basically saying is if I'm a Christian and I so love, I'm going to just choose, regardless, even my enemies, even those that persecute me and speak against me and would fight against me, I'm going to so love, I'm going to so love, I'm going to so love. The law of the kingdom is don't get tired of doing that because at some point you will reap, it will come back to you, right? I'm going to sow joy. I'm going to sow peace. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to help. I'm going to help. You, if people think, well, I help, but no one ever helps me. There is a due season that if you'll stay with the Lord and keep being a helper of other people, the Bible says, whatever you do to others, that the Lord will do to you. That you shall also receive from the Lord. This is not a financial principle only. It's a kingdom principle. Whatever I want, what, the, the, basically it's just this. Whatever I put out, the Lord will multiply it and return it back to me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That means if I do go around doing good, what did Jesus do? He went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. If I'll stay with that, what will the Lord do? He will cause men to come into my life who will do what? They'll do good to you. They'll do good to me. That's it's. It's encouraging. Amen. But there's a season for it. It's saying due season. Not every single season is a reaping season. Are you guys with me? So you, this is what the scripture is saying. We shall reap if we don't lose heart. Don't grow weary of doing good. David also said, I was once young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. Basically, what this means is don't get tired of following God. Because no person, if they'll stick with it, you will not get to the end of your life and say, the Lord has left me hanging. The Lord failed me. The Lord didn't fulfill his promises. The Lord didn't do what he promised that he would do in the word. It's saying if you'll stick with it and continue, continue to sow, not just, not just money, just continue out of the overflow of your heart. Be a Christian. Love Jesus. Love people. Do what the Bible says that you'll, you'll enter into a season where you will reap what you sow. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Praise God. So that means what? If... If I sow goodness into the world, what am I going to get back? Say goodness. If I sow selfishness, if I just live a self-centered life, what am I going to receive back? Selfishness. That will always be my portion. That will be my only portion. Are you guys with me? Okay. The other observation I wanted to make from this text is, 
Let us not grow weary while doing good. This means that there is obviously a temptation to grow weary in the time from believing to seeing. So again, understand this. There's always going to be a time from believing to seeing. Are you with me? Whatever you're believing God for, there will always be time in between. That's how the kingdom works, from what you're believing for to seeing what you're believing for in your life. And so don't grow weary. So this is what I'm kind of preaching on today. The the reason the Bible said this is because there's a temptation. There's a temptation when you start using your faith to start asking this question, where is my harvest? Lord, I've been serving you. Where's all of this goodness? Where's all of this blessing? There's people believing God for businesses. There's people believing God for great things in life, and they can grow discontent saying, Lord, I've tried to serve you. I've tried to obey you. I've been doing what you said, but I'm in this gap from my faith as a seed to reaping the harvest of that seed. And in that gap, the Bible says you must beware because it will be very easy to grow weary and discontent. Where is my harvest? Where is this blessing? Lord, what are you doing? And that's what I want to help with this morning. Hallelujah. So let me just make a few points here that are undeniable from the scripture. Number one, there are promises of financial blessing from giving. Malachi chapter 3. You all, many of you know these verses, but I just want to prove, you know, help lay this foundation because we do have people all the time tuning in. This is amazing. Some of our social media stuff is taking off. Just yesterday, we had six people give their lives to Christ from YouTube. We're starting to see just in one day. And again, that's everything, guys. I'm telling you, since we've started the social media, there's been so many days where we've labored, we've labored, nothing, 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 nothing. And then it just catches, right? If you know how it works, it catches in the algorithm and it starts putting it in front of people. And what is that? That's actually a kingdom law that was established in the word of God written thousands of years ago. And so if I didn't understand that law, guess what? Day one, day two, day three of showing up early, leaving my kids with my wife, us getting up here grinding, getting all this stuff. Day three, day four, week one, week two, week three, I would have already quit because I wasn't seeing anything from what I was doing. But the kingdom of God is built on progression. I'm not going to be tomorrow where I am today if I'll stick with the Lord. That's just a fact. And it doesn't just only, I'm not just talking about your finances and your success. I'm talking even the character of Christ in me. I will be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today if I'll stick with the Lord. And that's important to me. In fact, I'm telling you, the more and more that I, that I dr- truly listen, I, I'm, I don't know anybody locally, at least, that believes in prosperity more than I do. But I would, I would, if I had to pick, which thank God you don't, between prosperity and the character and the fruit of the Spirit, I would pick the character and the fruit of the Spirit. Because ultimately, that's the, that's the metric of our salvation as Christians. Not how much success and business and money and all this stuff did we get. Or the, the, the mark of a Christian is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the character of Christ. But th- that's the thing is that you have people that will only preach like it's one or the other, but it's not. It's both. 
And you don't have to compromise one on the other. And you don't have to make it happen. That's actually what meekness, say meekness. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, a beatitude, for they shall inherit the earth. The word meek, it's translated to humble, but meekness actually means putting a, a, it's, a it's taking a disposition of my life is in the hands of God. I'm going to love you, Jesus. I'm going to serve you, whether I see anything or whether I don't. You know, my, my reality is I'm going to put my life, my future, my, my, your plan, destiny, all of that in your hands. And I'm going to just serve you as a servant, as a slave to you, Lord. I'll lay my life down. And I'm just going to trust that by your hand, you're going to take me to the place that you've called me to go. I don't have to force it. I don't have to make it happen. But that doesn't mean I sit back and do nothing. Because if you're following the Holy Ghost, he won't let you sit back and do nothing. In that progression of God doing, he'll point to you, say, do this. Go here. Go there. Sow this. Do this thing. Amen. I'll try to be more disciplined, not get in rabbit trails. <laughs> but, you know, let's just look quickly. We'll go through these verses. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Here's a promise from God. He said they were, they were not tithing to the Lord. They weren't giving offerings tithing. They were disobeying the command of God. God commanded the tithe. Uh, it was a part of the Levitical law, which means the law of Moses. But people will say, well, we don't have to tithe. We shouldn't do that. that was, we're not under the law of Moses. In fact, Tithing is not, it didn't originate with the law of Moses. It originated with Abraham before the law of Moses. Abraham was given the, the tithe before the law of Moses was ever even instituted. And what's actually interesting is the relationship that God had with Abraham was a picture of the, our relationship where we receive righteousness by faith. The Bible says in the New Testament that we have actually been brought into the Abrahamic covenant. So tithing was a part of the Abrahamic covenant. It wasn't just a part of the Mosaic covenant. But anyway, so he says in verse 10, bring your tithes to the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Here's the promise. I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. And guys, I'm, I'm not taking up an offering. I'm just teaching on something. I'm not. But I'm telling you, if you read the Bible, if we read the Bible for what it says right there, the Bible says that if I will honor God in my tithe and offering, God gave me a promise that he would do it. I wouldn't do it. He would he would cause this thing to happen in my life where he would open the windows of heaven and he would pour out a blessing so great that I don't even have enough room to take that blessing in. I don't know about you, but that's an awfully large blessing if I don't have enough room to take it in. I just got a revelation. I actually believe that God's money, according to the Bible, is physical assets. Land, livestock, silver, gold. That's what's listed in Deuteronomy 8. You know, I'm, I've started buying silver a little bit, and I start to realize that if God actually started blessing me with large amounts of silver, you would physically run into the problem where you don't have enough room to put it. 
I mean, really, you know what I'm talking Like, you're like, there's not enough safe space. I need to go dig a hole or something and, like, put this thing. Are you guys with me? Because, you know, we translate that to just numbers on a screen. How can God bless me so much where, you know, what does that mean? The quintillions of dollars where there's not enough screen space for the number? No, I mean, it's like physically he'll bless you. There's not even enough. I mean, that's like in the blessing of God, he would bless them with so many livestock and cattle. In the old covenant, they didn't have enough land to keep it. I got too many cows and not enough land. That's the blessing of God. But that's a biblical promise. That's not my interpretation. That's something that God promised in his word. Right? We read Luke 6, 38. Give, it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into your lap. We read 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He'll increase you. He'll enrich you in every way so that you can be generous. So here's my point. If you just read the Bible, there is no denying that there is a promise of blessing for giving finances to God. Right? So here's kind of my question now. What a lot of Christians will do is begin to act in faith on the word of God. And then they'll find themselves from obeying God's word and believing him to do what he said to that little middle period where they're looking, saying, Lord, you promised that you would do this. I'm doing what you said, but I'm not seeing anything. So here's kind of my question. Where is my harvest? Where is this blessing? I want to lay a quick another foundation for you. This is, there are promises of answered prayer. When you study the Bible... Prayers are supposed to produce results. I understand that there's different types of, of praying. You know, there's different. You can go out and just talk and worship the Lord. And like, that's not prayer sent out with the intention of, of producing something. That's just you worshiping God. But there is a model of prayer where Jesus clearly taught, you pray, you, you use these principles, you do what I'm telling you to do. And it's not, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't happen. And, and there's no denying it, that, that there are to be results from our prayers. Right? But a lot most Christians, they never see anything their whole life, and then we just change the word. We change our theology um, to just reinterpret that God didn't mean what he said in his word. So, look, I'll give you an example. John chapter 14, verse 13. You can ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. I Say, I will. So that the Son of God can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name. Did he say I might do it? I will. I will do it. You skip over to John chapter 15. Verse 5, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But guys, I'm also going to talk about in this series some of the reasons why we don't see the result is because we're not actually doing what he said. One of the major keys to answered prayer, Jesus said, was remaining in him. So here's the question, what does it mean to remain in Christ? When I get up and my feet hit the ground, if I patterned my life in a way where I'm living outside of Christ, if I'm living outside of him, then there's no guarantee of anything that I'm doing.
I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you... And that's not just success, guys. It's all of it. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the character of Christ. It's your family being sanctified and saved. But I also do believe in Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord will make a man rich and add no sorrow to it. And when you read all of it in its proper context, when you read Malachi chapter 3, and you're not... You're not trying to be a Pentecostal or a Baptist. You're being a person with a brain that's reading the Bible. God's not talking about spiritual blessings. He's talking about physical, material goods. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch that withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, if, say if. So this isn't just a free-for-all. You can just blab and grab whatever you want, no matter what, how you're living, no matter what you're doing. That's not what he's saying. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you can ask me for anything you want, and it will be granted. So the Bible, John 14, John 15, look at John chapter 16, one more verse. Verse 23, now Jesus is speaking of the time that he's going to ascend to heaven to be with the Father. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you'll ask the Father directly. Praise God. Because that's something that the atonement did. The blood of Jesus purified us, sanctified us, made us righteous and holy and justified. Where the Bible says now, me and you can actually come into the unfiltered presence of God. In our spirits, not in our flesh. Our flesh couldn't handle the glory of God. I'm telling you, I had an open vision where I saw Jesus. I couldn't even look at his face. The Bible says that the son, and I think it's in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he lives in light that's so blinding and so pure that no man can approach. Our flesh, it's like, if you go to heaven, because I've actually heard stories, people go to heaven. You didn't go to heaven. You, 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 your spirit, you had an open vision, whether you were it was so real, whether you were in the flesh or in the spirit, no man can know, Apostle Paul said, but you didn't go in your flesh because your flesh would be dead. My flesh would be dead. He's so pure, so righteous and holy and incorruptible that this, this body that is decaying can't stand in that glory and that holiness. But when we get glorified bodies, praise God, we'll be able to talk with Jesus face to face Oh my gosh, it's going to be amazing. I'm all for healing, guys. I'm all for it, but I'm telling you, people are like, I don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I'm like, well, then you don't believe in it, but I'm on the first bus out of here. Amen. <laughs> you can choose to not believe all you want. Praise God. You stay. I'll pray for you in heaven. I'm on the first ship out of this place. Because although we can experience mighty blessing of God in this earth and, and we have a plan and a purpose, and you have to understand that my purpose here is not just for the sake of being here to prosper. My per Paul said, it's better for me that I go, but for your sake I'll stay. His, he understood that his life on the earth, the reason why he even used his faith to maintain his life on the earth was for the purpose and the advancement of the kingdom of God. Because if it wasn't for that, it's better to go. <laughs> Amen. And then there will come a day, whether we're here when that trumpet blows and we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air, or you come to an age, you come to a place where you can say, like Apostle Paul said, I finished my race. 
I poured out my life like an offering to the Lord. I kept the faith I did what the Lord told me to do. Man, I'm telling you, the Lord will let you. You enter into your reward. And I'm telling you, members of Revival House Church, we, we're not going to mourn over you at your funerals. We're going to have celebration services. Because you graduated. And we're coming right behind you very soon. Yeah, we'll miss you. But I really do believe this too, our, our loved ones that have died. You know, it says a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. I think on earth, you know, someone dies and it's like on earth, we, we just, we feel like we're living so far. Uh, just like they're gone, they've been gone so long. But in heaven, I think they'll get to heaven and it's like, oh, hey. Wow, I feel like I just got here. Look, there's my mother, there's my sister, there's my children. There's, and it was like a, 70 years on earth, but it was like a moment in the presence of God. To us, it feels like a long time to them. They'll be like, I just left. <laughs> I like blinked a few times and now my whole family's here with me, you know? And so you have to filter. That's why the Bible says we don't grieve like everyone else because of our hope that we have in the resurrection. But he said, I'll tell you the truth. You'll go to the Father directly. I'm like, how did I get off on that rabbit trail? Because you said you'll go to the Father directly. That's what Jesus did. He made a way for that. And you'll come using my name. He will grant you your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before, but ask using my name. And you will, there it is again, you will receive. And you'll have abundant joy. So that's not just one verse. It's, it's, it's all throughout the Bible. He's, Jesus said it repeatedly. You can ask for anything. If you abide in me and my words remain in you and abide in you, you can ask for anything you want and it'll be granted. You can go to the Father directly using my name and he'll give you whatever it is that you ask for. Right? So the Bible promises that. But how come as Christians sometimes we don't experience that immediately? And sometimes Christians will grab a hold of this thing and they'll start using it. I don't know, you know, for lack of better terms, but just spinning the slot machine with the Lord. And then they're not seeing this come to pass, and it causes discontentment in people's hearts. It causes offense. It causes hurt. It causes questioning. It causes doubt. It causes unbelief. When I do what the Lord said to do in the Word, but yet I'm not seeing so that's what I'm going to bring some perspective to for a little bit more this morning. Are you guys okay? There's no, there's no doubt that, that there are promises in the Bible for us to sow seed. We reap a financial harvest. Right? But then I'm, now the question is, while you're in the process of sowing the seed to not seeing any kind of return, the question is, where is my harvest? When I start using my faith and claiming something and I'm not seeing any result, the question will come up, where is the result of the thing I've been believing for? Where is it? That's the perspective I want to bring to you this morning. What Christians do is they begin to stand on this stuff, and then when they don't see it on this stuff, on the, on the word, better word there, they begin to stand on the word, and, and then they don't see it. They get upset, they get frustrated, they get angry, and they let unbelief come in. So the first perspective that I want to bring to us this morning 
I've asked the Lord. This is something the Lord showed me from the word. But number one, write this down. And, and go ahead, before you do, turn your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I'll give you this point, and then we'll talk about it. This is pretty much the only point that I'm going to cover this morning. Number one, where is my harvest? I've sown. I'm not a millionaire, but I've sown. I'm not seeing all this stuff that I've been praying for, but I've believed. I've done all this stuff. Where is it at? I want you to get this fundamental truth on the inside of you, and I'm asking the Lord to get it on the inside of me. Let's all get it in us. Number one, God will not allow you. To enter, the prosper, enter into prosperity without being rooted in the person of Jesus and the gospel. God will not allow you to enter into the prosperity, the promise. God will not allow you. Say that. Say, God will not allow me to enter into prosperity without being rooted in the person of Jesus and the gospel. Deuteronomy chapter 8, 6 through the end. We'll start here. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, flowing with streams and pools of water, with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevine, fig trees, and pomegranates, of olive oil and honey. You know, it's the promised land. What is the promised land? It, guys, the promised land, it's life in the spirit of God. It's all the promises of God that's been given to us. That is our, that is our reality. But I'm actually going to show you that, just be, that God can give us promises, and then there's things that we can resist that actually don't change the promises that he gave us, but it hinders our ability to ever step into those promises. And you see that with the people of Israel. We'll cover that in a moment. But what is the pro promises is what? Promises, the promised land is that ability where I can sow. And Jesus said, a seed that falls on fertile soil will reap 30, 60, and 100 fold. There's this supernatural reality. But I'm going to tell you that although God offers that promise to every Christian, I, Christians don't immediately possess that most of the time right when they get saved. Why? And I'll tell you why in a second if you'll stay with me. This is the land where food is plentiful, and that's the, that's the promise of God for every person. The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me to still waters. He leads me to a place where my cup overflows with blessing. Then it goes on to say, when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God and the good land that he has given you. And I also want to just say this, guys. I, I do fundamentally think that things are going to change in America in the next three to five years. I don't think that the world, I don't think that the laws, I don't think the church is going to look the same way in three to five years as it does right now. 
The reason I'm telling you that is because promised land doesn't just mean having a fat stack bank account. You know, there's persecution. There's no denying that there's persecution. There's Christians that are being martyred. To, everybody's like, do you think that we'll actually be alive when, when America begins to martyr Christians? Surely that, that must be the end times, right? When America starts to martyr Christians. There's Christians in China. There's Christians in the Middle East. There's Christians in North Africa. There's Christians in Asia. There's Christians all over the world that are being martyred right now. Are we in the rapture? That hasn't happened yet, has it? You know, and so I'm not talking about life without persecution. But I do believe that, that God, the true blessing of God is God giving the Christian and the church the ability to prosper even in the midst of great resistance. Like if America goes totally communist, and this is why I got kicked off of YouTube, but guys, no, I'm, I'm being honest with you. Something that's happening right now, I'll get a little political for a minute. Is that okay with you? Something that's happening right now <clears throat> with Silicon Valley and the banks crashing, I'm not going to go into all of that because I could probably spend another three hours talking about that, but I'm not going to. If you want to know more about that, tune in Monday through Friday, and I talk about all this kind of stuff. But basically what's happening with the banks is there is... I'll give it to you simple. There, there is not enough cash for the deposits that are being made. There used to be a law where the banks had to have a certain amount of physical money for every deposit. What's a deposit? When you go, you get paid, you go to the bank, you put your paycheck in that bank. They used to be required to have a certain percentage of those deposits in physical assets, which I don't think money, cash is an asset, but that's what they call it, right? As of 2020, this is what you see happening is they'll always push these bills and push these things with all these great little uh, white horse, knight on shining armors, things in the forefront, but they'll slip in all this junk and they'll get people, they'll get lower class people, they'll get people that are struggling, people that are government dependent to vote these things in and then on the back side of it, they'll, they'll put all these things into into effect. And one of the things was they removed that requirement where now the bank had no requirement to have any certain amount of cash on hand for the amount of deposits that are being made. So here comes this major problem that right now there's less than 1% of physical cash for the deposits that are being made in the United States of America. Less than 1%. The bank has less than 1% of actual money in the banks for the amount of deposits, the numbers of all of the people that are banking with the central bank. Okay? And so basically now that they're running on banks, uh, the FDIC has came out. The FDIC is basically the insurance that if the bank collapses, we'll insure up to $250,000 for every depositor. I know, guys, am I talking over heads? I'm sorry. If you don't understand... I don't know how to break it down any simpler because I didn't understand a lot of this, but the way that I started learning, and I still don't understand a lot, the way I've started to learn is just listening, like listening to people that know what they're talking about. And, and so, um, so basically, the FDIC that's supposed to support up to $250,000 per depositor well, with Silicon Valley, it wasn't like you and me, like normal people that don't have like millions and millions of dollars in the bank. It was an account 
where the average depositor, the average account holder had multi, multi-million, like tech industry, tech companies in Silicon Valley in California. So they had millions and millions and millions of dollars. Well, all of a sudden, there is a crash in this bank where now they're coming to withdraw their money, but guess what? They don't have any money there. And so the government stepped outside of their own law and said, you know what, we're just going to print the money, we're going to pull from this, we'll pull from that, and we'll ensure past the... So this is putting this huge fret in all of these people. Um, where these run-on banks are happening, and basically the board of the FDIC, I'm giving this to you in a nutshell, came out and said that we will basically... They asked the question, what will happen to some of these smaller banks and these little towns, these mom-and-pop banks, what's going to happen? Basically, they said that if, if there's a run, we will decide which banks survive and which banks don't. We'll choose. There's certain banks that are too big to fail, and there's other ones that we can afford. And so basically, if you have your money in those accounts, in those banks, if, if this happens, which whether it happens now, guys, or whether it happens in a year or two, it's going to happen, period. And I'll get to this in a moment. Uh, you'll lose your money. There is no insurance. There is no backing. There's, no, there's nothing for it, right? You, you just lose your money. So then here's what they'll offer you. Since we don't have the cash to, re, to refund you, to replace you, we're going to institute what's called the CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. We'll translate what was in your account. Now, not the American dollar. We'll translate it to this this digital form of currency will open up an account, will get you in the system and the software, and now you'll have central bank digital currency. What happens with that is the government controls every single dime that we spend. There's no more longer like, hey, you come over to my house and I'll give you $60 for doing some work. It won't exist. You won't go to a store where you can pay cash for things. Everything will be on a digitized system where they will be able to track and tax every single cent and dollar that we make. Which, guys, you know what this is going to do? It will kill the middle class. Do you know why? Because the middle class is the one that pays the taxes. The average people like us that just go to work and, and, and have jobs... And I'm not just talking middle, I, I mean, even upper middle class. Basically, if you're an employee, it, that's who pays the taxes. If you're not an investor or you own a huge business where you have over 400 employees, we're the ones paying all the taxes. People that, that just live on government assistance, they're not the ones paying the taxes. And the rich don't pay the taxes because they know how to filter everything through their investments, and, and you know, I'm not going to get into all of that. This will kill the middle class. This will make the elites more rich. This will make the average man and woman totally government dependent, and it'll usher in globalism. Are you all with me? Okay, so not only that, so now, now we're all operating on this, metro, on this system. It's all digitized. There's no more cash. It's all electronic and digital. They can track everything. Well, not only are they planning to be able to track it for tax reasons, China is already doing this. Other countries are already doing this where they'll initiate what's called a social credit system. Social credit means we're going to monitor your social media, what you say, how you act. If you, have any, if you jaywalk and we see you on a camera, you violated a law, so therefore we are going to... Because we basically have access to all of your money what you can buy, what you can use, we're going to put restrictions on what you're able to do and what you're not able to do. 
to discipline you as a citizen for not complying. You know, and it'll be, well, we'll stop crime. We'll stop all of these problems that are happening. But ultimately, it'll just bring in government tyranny. Which, guys, I'm, here's my point. There is no praying out of this. Because the Bible prophesied that there would come a man, the Antichrist. In Revelation 13, he would require everyone to, rich or poor, slave or free, no one could buy, sell. Look at this. He required everyone, small and great, rich or poor, free or slave, to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. No one can buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. What's actually amazing is that that mark, now they're introducing right along with this, is microchip technology. You know where the microchip technology goes? Right here in your hand. Where now you got Apple Pay. Have you ever seen those people that can go up somewhere and just like, they don't even put anything in. They just put their phone up to it. Have you guys seen that? It's called Apple Pay. You'll have a chip in your hand where you don't even need your wallet. Just swipe, swipe your hand. Guess what? Elon Musk started a company in 2016. And you know what the company does? Puts chips in your head. He will require. I'm not saying he's the Antichrist. If you've seen my, my goofy YouTube stuff that I do, I don't really believe he's the Antichrist. But I'm saying you see the stage being set. He actually started a company where now... You'd be required to take a mark on your forehead or on your hand. And without these marks, you can't buy, sell, trade anything. You see that happening? So the point that I'm getting to even with the church, this is what they'll do in China. This is what they're going to do in the United States of America. Is the same way that a few weeks ago I got my YouTube channel shut down for, quote, preaching medical misinformation. What they'll be able to do is not only shut down our YouTube account, they'll be able to freeze our bank account. Now you can't, you can't pay your electricity. You can't do They'll freeze. They'll have the ability to totally freeze and seize and, and control what you're doing. So when I'm talking about prosperity, I'm not talking about us just rolling around pie in the sky. But what I am saying that if we hook in with the Lord, even in that tyrannical system, God will give the church the ability to prosper in the midst of it. But it may look different than how it looks right now. Money may look different. The system, the structure, the everything may look very different than how it looks today. Church may look different in America than how it looks today. But the body of Christ will thrive. The body of Christ will prosper. The body of Christ will win souls. And the body of Christ will continue to advance the kingdom until Jesus Christ returns. Are you guys with me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I usually stop about 1230. That's like two hours, right? You guys can handle two hours, right? Like, man, you preach a long time. Really? You go to the movie theater and it's two hours long. We got friends that come all the way from Katy, Texas. I mean, come on. I can't deliver like a 25-minute sermon. What a waste of their time. A lot of our other members drive over from Sherino, Texas. He said Huntington. I live three minutes behind the church. <laughs> so I just want you guys to understand. I want you to just get this. Like, prosperity doesn't mean famine never comes. Because when Isaac 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all, every single one of them lived through famines in their lifetime. Yet their faith didn't prevent the famine from coming, but what did their faith do? It allowed Isaac to reap a hundredfold in the year of famine. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of this stuff going on, the body of Christ, the Lord will give the body of Christ strategies to prosper. I'm making moves. I'm, we're making moves as a church. Right? I feel it so strong in my spirit that God's going to help get us set up where we can really thrive and prosper as this stuff comes into America, that we will not be caught off guard. But, um, and so back to Deuteronomy 28, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 8. So I've been talking about the blessing. Say the blessing. It's not determined by, guys, I'm telling you, the more you learn about money, your prosperity is not determined by your numbers on a screen. Those numbers on the screen don't mean anything. You know, the more that I get into understanding how money really works, I, like, I've held $1,000 cash in my hand. If this was five years ago, I would have looked at that and thought, oh, wow, this is cool. I have some money, and I'm looking at this. I'm like, this is toilet paper. It gives me buying power, but this isn't even money. This isn't even real money. All this is is buying power. This lets me go to Walmart and meet temporary needs. Your prosperity is not measured by that. It's not measured by that. So God will not allow you to enter into the, into the prosperity without being rooted in the person of Jesus and the gospel. So let's keep reading for a minute. So he's talking about bringing them into this promised land, this land overflowing with milk and honey, and a land of prosperity. Say prosperity. Where they lack nothing. Where the food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. Say nothing is lacking. I do believe that this is a covenant promise to every single believer. That we can enter into a place where nothing is lacking. But I'm going to tell you, the moment that you get saved, you don't immediately enter into that place. And I'll show you why in a moment. There's a progression. You know why? Basically this, because there's some stuff that God's got to work out of us. Or that promised land would actually destroy us and cause us to go to hell. Nothing is lacking. It's a land that iron is as common as stone and copper is as abundant in the hills. When you've eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land that he's given you. That is the time. Listen to this. He's talking about this prosperity. Guys, th think about it in the context. If I've been sowing seed... And, and now I'm believing God for this huge mega harvest and all these opportunities and all this greatness, all these things in my life. And when I get there, it's just pie in the sky. And God actually says, go with great caution. Because that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty, you don't forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, his regulations and his decrees that I'm giving you today. 
For when you have become full and prosperous, when you reap 30, 60, 100 fold, and everything explodes in your life, and now you're just this great success, when you have come to that place, when you've built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large, and your silver and gold have multiplied, along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that moment and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from their slavery in the land of Egypt. Don't forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. You know, it's actually crazy to think about from the moment that they left Egypt... The Bible says that Egypt, it was just a type and shadow, right? That whole story, the Exodus, was a type and shadow of Christ. What was, what was that a picture of, the Israelites leaving Egypt? Say salvation. And so they had to undergo a process from salvation, from being delivered from the system of this world, translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, to actually possessing the promised land. The Bible, the Bible says God led them on this journey. What verse was I on? He did this, verse 17. Can you go back? He did this. So they're on this journey. What's the purpose? When you get in that season from that that place from I'm sowing, where's my reaping? I'm believing, where's my manifestation? What's the purpose of this season? To humble you and test you for your own good. Say for my own good. Say, if I'm not reaping, it's for my own good right now. If I'm not walking in a hundredfold return on every seed that I sow, say, it's for my own good right now. If my business isn't multi-million dollar today, say, it's for my own good. He did this so that you would never say to yourself, I've achieved this wealth In my own strength and energy, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful. The the Bible, other translations say he is the one that gives you the power to create wealth. There's an anointing to create wealth. There's an anointing on the believer to, to create wealth. Say wealth. And again, if you read in context of Deuteronomy chapter 8, what did he identify as wealth? When you've become full and prosperous, you've built fine homes, say homes. That's land. That's property. When your flocks and herds, that's livestock, have become very large, and when your silver and gold have multiplied. The Bible defined wealth and God's standard thousands of years ago as physical assets, not numbers on a screen. Say land. Say silver and gold. Say livestock. Physical assets. What is livestock? Livestock is a business. It's like a physical business. God gives you the anointing to succeed, to acquire these things. You know what? When I actually stopped going in the direction of pursuing after numbers and pursuing after American toilet paper, 
And I started shifting my faith, my mindset, and going into another realm of like what God defines as, as wealth in the Bible. I've like, it's like crazy. I've seen God do poop, 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 just start doing this crazy stuff. It's, it's insane. It's amazing. But anyways, look at this. Verse 19. I assure you of this. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. Wow. If I carry disobedience into the promised land, the promised land will destroy me. Are you with me? If I have greed in me, where I have a money problem, and God answers his word and gives me 30, 60, and 100 fold, if I reap 30, 60, and 100 fold, and I have these things in me that aren't worked out, that 30, 60, and 100 fold would cause me to be destroyed. Are you guys with me? There's so many people, where is my harvest? Where is my harvest? I would actually question, instead of being so discontent with where is the manifestation of all these things, to fix your eyes on Jesus and begin to ask him to do a deep internal work on the inside of you and say, I'm not going to be so fixated on where my harvest is, Lord, but I actually want to go through this process of you making me into a person that can actually possess the promised land and the promises of God. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of men that if they reap 30, 60, and 100 fold of every seed that they sowed, that they would cheat on their wives next month. If, they, if God took them to a multi, multi-million dollar level, ask this honest question, if me and my family, not just you, because you have to understand that this changes your life. This would change your life. Your whole life, not just you, your spouse, your children, everything. If I were to enter into a place where God actually put like $10 million in my hand, would that just, would my, is my life, is there flesh, is there disobedience, is there stuff in my life that would actually cause me to go to hell? You know that if God put $10 million in some people's hand tomorrow, you know what they would do? I'm on vacation for six months of the year. By church, by assignment, by kingdom of heaven, by the Lord. By church, by community, by all these things. We're going to go travel here. We're going to go fly here. And you know what it actually causes? It would cost that person their salvation. They would totally walk away from the Lord. The promise of God without, listen to this point. God will not allow you. The reason I said that is because did God allow the Israelites to enter in? Not that generation. He only allowed Caleb and ones under a certain age, but that whole generation that had been given that promise, he, he didn't allow them to enter in. He didn't allow them to enter in. God will not allow you to enter into prosperity without being rooted in the person of Jesus and the gospel. The Lord showed me this, and it shook me to my core, where he said, you will certainly, if you go into the promised land, Think of everything you're praying for. Hey, everything you're believing for. So again, this may help bring some clarity to that question. Where is my harvest? Maybe the Lord is doing a work right now on the inside of you to make you a person that that harvest wouldn't destroy your life if you received it tomorrow. What good would it for God to give somebody so much financial prosperity and then their whole family go to hell because they love mammon? 
What good would it for God to cause somebody to create a business where you have all this success and now you start operating at the multi, multi millions of dollars and now the government comes in in three years and you have all this success and now they test you and they try you and they put your, your, your back against the wall and they say either you totally comply against the word of God or we're going to ruin your business. How many Christians would just totally comply because of success? Because we've achieved too much success to let it stop now. How many Christians would actually lose, their, lose that business for the gospel? You know, the first century Christianity were Christians that were losing their livelihood, their, their jobs, and their lives for the gospel. If you were a Christian in the first 300 years of the, of the birth of the church, more than likely you would lose your life or your job for the gospel at some point. Because it wasn't like America, home of the free, and we all just have free choice and free. You know, literally, it's like these, these Jesus people, the way, these, these followers of Christ that are getting saved throughout the, the Roman Empire, that are dominated by wicked people that can literally choose to throw you on a cross and crucify you. They would, they would make it where if you don't, like I'll give you an example. In the book of Revelation, it talks about how those that refused, even in the midst of suffering, they refused to deny, deny Christ. Imagine we live in a time where we're dominated by a cultic, demonic religion. That There's a temple right down the street. And the leaders of that temple, they're the ones that own all the money, that own all the, the business, the trade, everything. And they, and they tell you, your job is dependent. You're, like, you work for the people that, that own that temple, Right? Are you guys with me? And every year they have some demonic festival in that temple where they say we get together and we have a giant orgy together. Where we party, we feast, and you have to participate in this. And if you don't participate in this ritual, you lose your job and you lose your livelihood. Well, guys, there wasn't Craigslist. There wasn't unemployment. You lost your job. You, your family doesn't eat. You die. This is ancient antiquity we're talking about here. The Christians would stand up and say, we cannot. How many Christians today would go just party, right? I'll go party today and then the Lord will forgive me because he understands that my job was on the line. Well, we wouldn't do that, really. Everybody did it in 2020. They threatened me, if I don't do this and this and this and this, then I'm going to lose my job and I can't lose my job, so therefore I'm going to compromise. That's the same spirit that's going to cause people to take the mark of the beast. Being a Christian means even losing your job, losing your livelihood, losing everything, losing your business. So you understand that if this isn't a deep work that's done on the inside of you, the promise of God that you're believing for could actually destroy your life. Can anybody that's older in the room, who's older than 50? Come on, raise your hand. Imagine some of the things that you've like, your dreams. It's success. Maybe it's some kind of level of prosperity, success in your life. What would have happened if God gave you that when you were 19 years old? What would have happened? <laughs> he goes, "Woo, man. That's my point. There had to be a process of you becoming a man and a woman of God. And that's what he's saying here. If you enter into the promised land and you begin to disobey me, you will be destroyed. The promised land will destroy you if you're not ready for it. Everyone with me? 
So this point was this, when God will not allow you to enter into, the pros- into prosperity without being rooted in the person of Jesus in the gospel. Let me ask this question. How, where was the first place Moses took the Israelites after he led them out of Egypt? Did he take them to the promised land? He took them to Mount Sinai. Why did he take them to Mount Sinai? Because Mount Sinai is the place where he had the burning bush experience. Moses encountered this burning bush that changed his life. It's where the anointing came on him. It's where it dramatically changed him into this totally different person. And the first place that, God, that Moses took the people was not to the promises. They, although they were there, although the prosperity is great and all the success, all of that's great and wonderful, Moses understood that if they don't encounter him like I did at the burning bush, they can't handle all of that other stuff. That you have to meet him, you have to be rooted in him first before you can enter into the promises of God. And that's what I'm saying here, guys, is that as a Christian, we're like Christians are asking this question, where is my harvest? Where is the success? Where is all this other stuff? And But the real thing is you have to make sure that you're, is your heart really rooted in the gospel 100%. Have I gone through, have I allowed God to take me through this process where I've truly laid everything down to follow Jesus? Everything down. Where there's not one thing that God, that I have, that God can't touch, that God can't direct, that God couldn't tell me to give, that God, no place God couldn't tell me to go. Would I walk away from everything? Have I allowed him to do that work on the inside of me? And I'm telling you, you have to let him do that work on the inside of you Because number one, you could never handle the promise of God without it. And then number two, in fact, I believe that God wouldn't allow you to go into the promises of God. Because he's a good father. He's not just some deity or thought or idea. He's a father that loves his children. He loves his children. Would God allow something destructive to be in the hand, like, let's think of dynamite. I've heard it said like this, and I use this Wednesday night, but dynamite. Dynamite is an amazing tool, right? You could go clear holes through the sides of mountains with dynamite and build train tracks. It's an amazing tool. But what happens if I were to take that stick of dynamite and put it in the hand of my one-and-a-half-year-old? It would kill her. Would I ever put dynamite that could be used for great industrial use in the hands of my one-year-old? No, I wouldn't. Why? Because I'm a loving father. Are you guys with me? So basically, if you've asked yourself, where is my harvest? The first, all of this, all of this somehow (laughs) comes back to this kind of point. Where is my harvest? Where is all this at? My real question is, my real point is position yourself at the feet of Jesus Ask the Holy God, you know, what if, let me ask a God honest question here for all of us as Christians. You you meet Christians that they are, they're so upset about their harvest, my harvest, my blessing, my this, my that. What if you took that same intensity and you directed it in Galatians chapter 5? Where the Bible says the Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. Joy. 
What if instead of, Lord, where's my harvest? Where's my opportunity? Where's my blessing? What if you take that same radical approach and said, where's the joy in my life? Where's love in me, Lord? Where's goodness? Where's kindness? Where's patience? Where's faithfulness? Where's gentleness? Where's self-control? What if I, what if I stop, stop being so concerned about the promise and I pressed into the God of the promise and allowed him to do this work on the inside of me? And guys, I'm actually telling you that if we would begin to do that, you would see that God would allow things to flow more free in your life. You don't have to come behind him, checking on him every day. Did you forget about your word, Lord? It'll just begin to flow. But always ask the question, if I'm not walking in some level of the promise of God, is there a work the Holy Ghost is trying to do on the inside of me that must be done? Everybody getting that today? I'll give you this last, uh, this last little point here. You need to encounter him before you can possess the land. Thank you, Jesus. Guys, I, I, I read a book by John Bevere, and I'm going to tell you that he actually said something that shook me. And I, and I do, like, it's so needed. In the 1980s, and guys, I'm a, I'm a word of faith guy. 1980s, 1990s, the word of faith. This is a quote from him. And I'm a truth seeker. Like, I'm not a religious, I just have to be one thing or the other. I, I just want the truth. But he said this, and it was needed then, and it's still needed. But he said this in the 1980s, 1990s. He said, something began to happen that started out so pure and so holy, but it began to be corrupted when teachers began to teach people about the promises of God without introducing them to the God of those promises. That shook me. The Word of Faith movement, anybody that was in it knows that yes, people got saved, but it wasn't an evangelical outreach ministry. It was a revelation to the body of Christ, to Christians. But there's a problem when you start preaching the promises of God to people that aren't even saved. Like the promises are great, but you're introducing them to the promised land without taking them to Sinai first. And you don't realize that without Sinai, man, they'll never even stay in the promises. And those promises will destroy their life. And it shook me. And I was like, man, that's so absolutely critical. I'm not taking away from any of this as truth. We just established that the word says that there's a harvest for our sowing and that there's answers to be given to our prayers and faith can possess all things. But what I am saying is people need to first meet Jesus. People need to have a life countering alter uh, moment, life shaking moment with the resurrected son of God, Jesus Christ, that changes them from the inside out where they get born again and totally rooted in the person of Jesus and in the message of the gospel to forsake all things to follow him before any of these promises can even make sense in our lives. Because God has no problem blessing his children with prosperity. But God's not wanting the children to obtain prosperity at the expense of forsaking the call of the gospel, which is to forsake all things to follow Jesus. Are y'all with me? So God never let the Israelites inherit the land because they wouldn't become the people who could handle the promise. God gave them all these promises of, of land overflowing with milk and honey, livestock, silver, gold, all these things. 
Let me ask a question. Was it real? Did he mean those promises? Did they inherit those promises? Say no. So people question, well, if all of this is true, then how come I don't see any of it? Well, the promises were true to them, and they didn't see any of it. And it wasn't because it wasn't true. It was because they wouldn't let God do the work on the inside of them that needed to be done. Are y'all with me? Holy Ghost, help us. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's all I got for you this morning. Does that help anybody? I have several more points, perspectives that I'm going to bring over the next few weeks to this. Where's my harvest at, Lord? Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.